Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Now, to tell you something, people, out here in Los Angeles, gas is really, really expensive. And I go to a place right near me in Burbank where it's like $3.95, but down the street, there's a place that's like $4.15, which makes the most sense to me. So I'm driving to the studio today. I'm at the red light. I'm on Victory, and I believe Pass. I'm not even sure what road it is. And there's one gas station that is $3.99, and right across the other street is a gas station that is $4.19. And I'm thinking, what idiots are buying the gas at the $4.19? It's just gas. Anyway, if you guys are anywhere else in the country, you're loving it because I am screwed with gas. It's it's awful. So anyway, my guest was just funny. Me, my guest is Keith Coogan. How you doing, Keith? And he has something to say about gas. Keith, say something. Very good, Steve Cooper. Thank you. Uh, if you're heading that way and have to get on the freeway and you need that cup of coffee and you're late for work, you'll pay the 19 cent difference. Okay, I'll see that. But they have better location and they're probably a branded gas like a Chevron. It's the same. They literally said it's the same gas that you get at Valero as you get at 76, as you get at Chevron, as you get at Shell and Mobile. Does Shell and Texaco even exist anymore? I don't think. No, well, I know I, Texaco. That's funny. Well, you but know but it's the branding and the location and the rent they have to pay. They have no choice. They're literally making a penny or two on every gallon. It's all of the convenience store snacks, which are hugely overpriced. It's all about convenience. No, but, so yes, crack, you're paying what, for your time. Your time is worth thirty-two dollars an hour. No, like but plumber what, money. What what I know what cracks me up is though when they're right across the street from each other and they're they're the different prices. Oh, don't worry, you can turn it up a little bit. Uh, yeah, but, I did. I crank. I have a little hearing. Okay, problem just just talk. I don't. You know, I don't. If you can fine. hear me, that's fine. I will but, uh, do. No, I can barely hear you. But no, you can't hear good. me. No, no, you're good. I mean, no, because I mean, then take the headphones. I did. Off. I got sudden adult deafness syndrome. How'd that happen? They said maybe Meniere's disease, some hidden phantom virus that mimic syphilis that's great that's fun and i lost like 30 percent of my hearing in one ear and uh 70 in another so I, i'm kind of i and speech stuff like t's and s's it's right in that speech zone so great so as an actor it's forced me to listen <laughs> look at people's mouths right. as they talk i was going to ask you because it's funny because i'm legally blind in one eye and I've been that way my whole life. So I'm used to... I've, that eye? Over there? This eye. Like no. The one that's crossed. Come on. That's fine. I think <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. No, but no, for me I've though, seen Almodovar pictures. I, I, she's I, she's I, gorgeous. I, I've grown up that way. Now, for you, it must have been very uh, hard to adjust to it because it happened later in life. It did. And uh, I was uh, working and working on the phones at the time in sales and management. And it was uh, debilitating. And I... Every time I go up for a job in the real world, because I work both acting, but that doesn't pay anymore. You just do tons of work, but you get paid $100 a day. Uh, and then on the side stuff, everything that I've done, including I just recently worked at Universal Studios Hollywood at the front gates taking tickets. Hi, how you doing? Really? Yeah. Uh, so everything in the real world, it, uh, I, when you apply for the job, I, it goes, are you handicapped? Like American with disabilities act. And I'm like, no, if I get into it, I can ask for people to turn it up or something. So I'm fine. I can hear myself and that's all that matters. That's all that counts. Cause as long as you can see me and you're reading. So, you know, it's, it's my good. wife who loves to take selfies. We have a camera that flips up and it's a selfie cam. So you hold it up with the celebrity here and instantly they're drawn to their own image. And I'm like, oh, it's easy to get actors to look at themselves. <laughs> Click. Perfect pictures every time. Now I got to ask you. Now you grew up and your uh, your grandfather was a legendary actor. And now as I mean, I mean, and, and a legendary fine, human. I mean, yeah, uh, just I mean, but but I mean, if people don't know this, Jackie Coogan and, you know, some of you younger people, you he was in. A ton of silent movies, but he was also Uncle Fester. People, just so you know, if you, that's because I went as Uncle Fester this year for Halloween. I you actually went, not. and my girlfriend went from breakfast at Tiffany's, so we look completely different. She was but, Holly Golightly. Yes, I was Uncle <laughs> Fester. Great. We look great taking this subway $50 home. dollars for the powder room. Jeez. <laughs> so, what was it? What was it like, like growing up as a as a kid? Because you know, I always think, you know, your grandfather. Like I remember going to my grandfather's house, and he would sit there and he smoked cigars, and it was he was sitting on the couch and. He would always give us saving bonds for uh, Christmas. And we didn't know what the hell it was. As kids, we wanted something different. But no, what was it like for you where your grandfather was legendary, but for you, he's your grandfather. Did you ever like, did you know he was a big star or did you know him just as grandfather first? Uh, not at first. And my mom was like disassociated with him when I was born up until the time I was about seven or eight. Maybe we saw him every once in a while, but there wasn't a lot of... Because she was a 15-year-old runaway pregnant mom. Okay. Uh, and he's Catholic and church and all that other good stuff. So she was very anti-trick, got kicked out of Catholic school. She went to Our Lady of Malibu, 
patron saint of surfing and cocaine. And uh, we, uh, I entered the business only because I saw these cappy kids. We were living on welfare up in Sacramento. She's going to American River College to like study child psychology and behavior modification. I was raised on a Clockwork Orange and The Exorcist. Great hey, films good, like that. Great. I mean, I the Exorcist scared early. I started reading. I'm like, is this all there is? Oh my god, great. The Exorcist still scares the crap out of me. Like when I see it, it still has that feel that you watch and you go, oh my god, this is how many years old? And you watch it and you go. Holy crap. This is amazing. Voted scariest movie ever. That's why it should Consistently be. and still. And then go see the uncut version. You'll lose your mind. I have to see that now. So moved into, I, I wanted to be on TV and said to mom, hey, I want to you know be on TV. And uh, we moved quickly back to LA and she saw an apartment for the same price in the valley as a smaller one in the beach. She's like, let's go to Malibu and move to the beach. Little ramshackle apartment above the toy store. But it's Malibu. But it's Malibu and, you know, an hour's drive into all the auditions and stuff and uh, started as an extra. You saw my like left shoulder in a Coast Soap commercial (laughs) and a stand in. And uh, the director wanted to use me in this McDonald's commercial. But the mom of the other kid was like, no, you got to use my kid. She's like eating all the McDonald's with a fur coat on. And uh, he goes, the director's like, I'll use you. So after I did the stand, the extra thing uh, did a series of McDonald's commercials with Ronald and the parks and the thing and and, the, now, and and that started. I did about a hundred national commercials. So so then that's when that's back when national commercials you made a shitload of money. Yeah, seventy five or seventy six. I made fifteen thousand dollars for fifteen minutes of work on a Wrigley Spearmint gum commercial. That was the most. That's like Super Bowl money. What did you do? You just chewed. Signed gum? a shoe. I was the shoe shine boy in Wrigley Spearmint. Now what was it like meeting Ronald? Was he like creepy? I or, met I mean... Ronald. I met Diggum and Snap Crackle Pop and and Mister Mister Charmin. What's his name? Mr. Uh, Mr. Whipple. Mr. Whipple. I met the uh, Cool Whip lady. I met Kool Aid guy. Like every of those icons, you got to. So to when see. you Henry doing... Fonda was actually in a Viewmaster Viewer commercial, one of my first jobs. See, that's amazing. Now, but when you were doing those commercials, were you just the kid where they just said, "Okay, let's get this kid to do the commercial"? Like, I mean, I'm sure after you a while, are in the... a range of from jump and shout, just I'm a kid to like precocious stuff where you had a lot of dialogue. I got a Texaco commercial, and it was like five spots. And towing a wagon full of puppies, so kids and this and animals, and I had a pages of dialogue. It was just all monologue, like I'm a used car salesman. And at five years old, I could nail it because uh, I read a lot, and you know that's how I got work because I could memorize dialogue really quick. And as an actor, I grew and grew and started crying stuff, and then Chips episodes, Love Boat, yeah. Fantasy Island, all that. Were stuff. you were you taking classes at that no, time, or were you never. just you on set? Just... Learn it right on. So set. you learned on set. So you're five, and you're doing these commercials, and then so you knew after doing the commercials, you wanted to graduate into more acting. You said this is it. I mean, some kids would be happy just mm-hmm. doing commercials. Now, what is the schooling like when you're? Is there set schools? I always yeah. wonder because I did some background, and there's these. And first of all. There's like this mom. I'm doing this one show, and we're in Brentwood, and this in this mom, they're saying, okay, here's, we're doing a restaurant scene. You guys probably won't be in the scene, but we don't want you to have bottled water because it's a 1990 show, no one had bottled water. And this mom just walks in eating, and they're saying Newfoundland said eating and drinking the water. And I'm sitting there going, are you stupid? Do you not listen? And I feel bad because like no other moms are there. It's just her and there's a bunch of kids. I mean, what was it like being a kid on the set? Were the were, were the people, were the PAs nice to you or were they jerky? Uh, the, I mean, you felt the tension when they were fighting for the three hours of mandatory school you had to do, and you could have one teacher for up to twenty students. Uh, the teacher couldn't be daycare for the kid. You always had to have one parent or legal guardian on the set. There was times where the kids were signed out to the producer as a legal guardian who would stand there and set and watch the kid. Uh, and especially if you were in the industry and you were uh, legacy, if you will. And I, did, I started working under my birth name, Keith Mitchell. And my mom didn't really want anyone to know the connection. She wanted me to earn it. Funny. And I'm like, nepotism rules. Just say right. you're Jackie. She's like, they know. If they know, they know. If they don't know, then you get the work for real. And I got pl- everyone got plenty of work. Everyone out there was like 40 kids, and we all just traded getting different stuff. And there was always a particular antagonist you'd have if you were the protagonist, et cetera. Um, doing, uh, so it became, it's a career, and my grandfather, then I started to really want to be in movies, and I loved the format, and I wanted to grow out of Sesame Street and Electric Company, that kind of stuff, which inspired me to be on TV. Uh, and so I started to get, quote, theatrical, which means an hour show or a half hour show sitcoms Laverne and Shirley Morgan Mindy eight is enough 
uh, the Waltons. I did a year on that. And after that, I was just, just hungry for movies. And I tried out for everything. Everything. E.T., Goonies. Okay, so you were you were going... You got nothing. Okay, because it's weird because, you know, you did all these commercials. Then the TV, as I said, you were in Waltons and you were in the McKenzie's of Paradise Cove. You were in some different... Clue Gulliger. Yeah, so it's, you were doing these series. Now, what was it... What was the change? Like, when you went from commercials to the TV, did you feel that there was a bigger change? Because commercials, I just say, if you audition for a commercial, you walk in... You go, hey, especially a kid, say, yabba dabba do. But as an actor, they got to say, hey, uh, you're going to be sitting there talking to John Boy or whatever. I mean, was it was it a, was it easy for you to transis, trans, uh, transition into those auditions? Uh, as I was maturing into a six and seven and eight year old actor, uh, I always knew the demands is you have to act like an adult on the set and be time and be prepared and don't waste any time. Don't fool around and focus. So as you get as you do that, you get rewarded. And they're like, well, a commercial, you have to be on point for about eight hours. You get a, you know, you got to rehearse a sitcom and then do it live. You got an hour show takes five days to shoot. Can you be focused for five days in a row? So I noticed when I was very young, I started to work with those directors like Bill, Bill Blinn and Jerry Thorpe, who did the McKinsey Paradise Cup, also put me in a purely legal matter with Jenna Rollins and, and uh, uh, Jane Alexander then, and Kluge Uliger also. Then put me in other shows. So it you start to work for the same producers because they know you're a safe bet. They go, great performance, never wastes a minute, just a little pro. You're expected to be an adult at all times except for one hour. You're allowed playtime and lunch as a kid. So switch that on and off and be a kid and play. So it was like my mother, Leslie Coogan, Jackie Coogan's daughter, very good at balancing that and making me do chores and go to public school and balance the real world versus movie world what was it like going to public school when you're on tv i mean like kids Fine. i mean malibu nobody gave a squat because it's malibu. all their parents are on tv there some acted some didn't some are like models at nine who cares right i went to school with uh, meredith salinger gabe jarrett jake Busey, chad lowe uh and no it was uh there's an inner circle just like cheerleading or chess club or music or drama this, this, and also drama, never ever cut it with drama teachers at school. So just, I've done like seven move TV shows and hundreds of commercials. They'll be like, no, no, no. You started theater 101. I'm like, damn. Well, it's always funny though. Sometimes it cracks me up is, is sometimes the, um, when it comes to acting teachers, some of them, I always laugh. Like you'll see them say, you know, come to this class. And it's some guy who was like on one show, like 20 years ago. And you go, man, if he, if he knew so much about acting, he would have been on shows all these years. I say that's okay. Those that can't do teach and someone could be a really good teacher. And uh, so I'll give them a pass. Okay. One, one and then you're done. I one th- and if you're not good as a teacher, you're done. I think that's the same with uh, wardrobe people on sets because they always dress like weirdos, but they t- they pick out. Always. Like- I'm wardrobe. I knew it. Did I you, just saw just, you and I figured. Yes. No, it's, dumb, but it's, you know, it's like they always, they dress per- people perfectly, but you see them, you go, where did you get those clothes? I mean, it's it just, it's amazing. Is that rabbit fur? What is that? That's <laughs> awful. It smells of death. <laughs> So were you enjoying working the TV shows? I mean, I said, you know, you did Chips. Loved I mean, how it, cool would it be? Loved it. Played on all the shows you wanted to watch and be on a Night Rider. And yes, I loved it. Every single moment of being on TV. Did you get to so sit? Fun. Did you sit in Kit? Did you get to be in Kit? Yeah, I rode around in Kit in pursuit mode and normal and played with David Hasselhoff. And uh, that's so cool. Worked at Universal Studios at the square, the courthouse square. You know, the 50s diner from Back to the Future? That was a bait shop in our episode of Knight Rider. And See, worked with my uncle Don Stroud on that episode. And uh, uh, so every and when you do a love boat, you also work with Haley Mills and Sir John Mills. And you work with Reggie Jackson. You do a Fantasy Island. You work with Tracy Gold and Scott Baio and Jimmy Baio and Jill Whalen. Or Missy Gold. Sorry, Missy was on our Fantasy Island. Now, did uh, at this time you were going by Coogan. No, by uh, uh, Adventures of Babysitting and Silver Spoons. When I was about 16 is when I changed my name. Now, were the people on the set, some of the people who were the directors, were they aware that you were Jackie's uh, grandson or no? And if they were, did they treat you differently? 50-50. Because... Those no. that knew, it would be like, oh, Jack. Yeah, okay. Remember, this is the man would go up to people and say, do you want to shake the hand that jacks off the dick that fucked Betty Grable? Okay. <laughs> You're crude crazy. and rude. Born in 1914. Wait, your grandfather was there, but you said he was so Catholic. Like, he... Yeah, but he was a rude. <laughs> and industry industry is about being crass and shocking people. And, you know, Don Rickles was like a friend of the family, Mr. Warmth. 
and uh, that that kind of sarcastic, jaded. He remember he was the world's first film child star and the world's first former child star, and right. he lost all this money. They made laws after to protect other children, but he didn't get squat. We didn't. We all were. We all ever since I knew, everyone in our family, you know, lived pretty modestly. I made some good money though, in the nineties, uh, and some some films, and you know. So now now all of a sudden you're doing all these TV shows. And you're going to start doing the movies and you're in some class movies. Trying. Now you're doing the movies and now is it frustrating you just because you've seen like from your commercials, it seemed like you, you, it became pretty easy getting the commercials. You were, you're nailing those commercials quickly. And then you, you had a good look, you're a cute kid. So they put you into the TV show. So you, you really haven't hit a wall. And so you're probably sitting there like any kid. I mean, I mean, kids, we have no fear, but you're probably going, Hey, this Never shit's did. easy. I had to go sideways because I so, got to star in major studio pictures and multiple and for almost every studio. Warner Brothers, Paramount, but how, Disney. How are you doing that from going from TV when you said you weren't getting movies right away? Were you getting Chris front, Columbus were you gave getting, me a break on on Adventures in Babysitting. So he did he know of you or did you did he see no, your work before? He he said you're you're the part and I fought with you with Disney and uh you know, I tried out for both of the boy roles, Daryl as well. Anthony Rapp tried out for my part, Brad Anderson. And uh it eventually came down to pulling me aside on the screen test day and going He's like, I think, you know, I really, really want you to do this. And I'm like, I'm really scared. This is going to be a big thing and a big thing for me. And I'm kind of afraid of success at this point. And it's a lot of you know, shoulder responsibility to be one of the four main leads in something. It's ensemble. It definitely is. And Elizabeth Shue carries more of the picture. But I knew it was a big task. And I, I looked at him and I said, I think I'm ready. I really do want this. And we went and worked for eight hours on a screen test with multiple scenes, a whole bunch of different Phoebe Cates and Jamie Gertz and Valerie Bertinelli all reading. So we all rotated. Jonathan Ward was out there. Uh, I think we had who was really young and tried out. Christina Applegate might have tried out for Maya Bruton's part, okay. Sarah, at that time. Very, very surreal to remember that day. And it was right down the street. Well, you know, it's crazy because, you know, that 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 movie was, I mean, I, I graduated college in 86, but we still watched it because, you know, it was it was a fun movie. And so that must have, what did that do with it? Well, like, it came out in 87. Right. That's why. So yeah. It was and like, it was, we shot it like we rehearsed, got it in 86 and rehearsed like Christmas of 86. And it, a huge release. I saw the big middle section of the calendar, two so, full pages. So page you knew, ads. you knew when you got the part, this was something big. I, I knew it was a modest touchstone pictures, a million dollar movie. I was like, okay, it'll make 10 million, 20 million, whatever. It made 36 million. It did great. Played, played a lot of the summer. And did really well on DVD and cable and and uh, what was that other stuff? VHS. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and Laserdisc. Remember Laserdisc? Totally love Laserdisc. Did, did you have any Laserdisc? I had a friend who had both versions, so he had every <laughs> Laserdisc movie ever. I never had Laserdisc. And, and they had the picture on them, and I was like, everyone thought this is the next big picture thing. Discs are Ooh, great. the Laserdisc is, and they were too big. It was like I don't know, I don't know anyone who really had a laser discs. And I was like, God, they were cool. I'd see them at the record store, which sounds like you sound no, old. Early adopters. <laughs> and they, it's like the people that bought Betamax. They had laser discs. So when this movie comes out, you are how old? 15? I'm, I'm 17. I turned 17 on the okay. set while we were shooting it. So you're 17 years old. I'd already put another movie under my belt, like a surf movie. Got uh, Hiding Out, too. And, and uh, because of our press tour through New York, I was Hiding Out was in with New York. John Cryer? Uh-huh. No. And they were shooting, filming, uh, like casting out in New York. So I was like, still had a few weeks left to go on and even shooting Adventures of Babysitting. And I got hiding out. Now, when Adventures of Babysitting becomes this hit, okay, and it becomes a hit of people your age, peers, it becomes a hit of also, I'm sure, parents who take kids. I mean, it, be it became a yeah. hit. It's a, what was, how did your life change? Because you're 17. I mean, you're this kid in commercials, you're in TV. Like, oh, that's a kid from, I mean, if you're probably noticing, oh, that kid was in Chips. It is. Now you're in this movie that has a big following. And the thing is, the following is from your peers. And does, I mean, how does your life change? You, I mean, you must start getting recognized a lot. And it must be weird for when you're 17 and then turning 18 to get recognized. What is that like? Well, I've been recognized as a kid and uh, had gone on like live events with my grandfather and stuff. And at one point when I was about eight or so, I got mobbed more than my grandfather and he got pissed. He's like, well, you're on a couple of TV shows. And nah, 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 nah. The legend. Nah, nah, nah. What's it? So I, that wasn't what I, was I new was I'm still <laughs> looking for the wall. I'm still looking for the ceiling. So you go, you got one, you got two, and you're always as good as your last movie. So you want to have one under your belt before the other one comes out. So you already have another job backed up, backed up, backed up. 
to just do two pictures a year, two major pictures, maybe something small, maybe some TV. But I really just focused on movies then. And then it becomes a race to, you see your paychecks going up. You see the, you know, by the time we get to Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead and Toy Soldiers. And Cousins was another great breakthrough. Cousins helped me get on the Oscars and do the uh, Stars of Tomorrow number. Remember the Oscars that had Snow White with Rob Lowe? Yeah. The other production number was Patrick Dempsey, Corey Feldman, Christian Slater, Ricky Lake. Jolie Fisher, Trisha Lee Fisher, uh, all of us <laughs> singing and dancing a 12-minute Oscar number choreographed by Kenny Ortega, who saw me doing an AM Los Angeles to promote Cousins and says, I danced with Lloyd Bridges and Cousins. I did a little dancing on there and did like the splits, and he goes, put him on the Oscars. So then you're doing that. And, and... What's it like doing the Oscars? Not like sitting, I mean, you get people who are sitting in the crowd, but I mean, as an actor, what is it like? Because you're sitting there, you're on stage, and you look, I mean, you must look down and you go, oh man, well, look, Jack Nicholson is looking at me dance. That's exactly it. You're in Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson. And the, for the first time, a billion people, they'd opened up the Soviet bloc to watch it live, and they go, there's over a billion people watching this live. No pressure. Were you nervous? Of course. Did you, I mean, but, but we'd rehearse to the hell out of it. So. Yeah, but I know you, you can rehearse as much as you, you want. You can go watch man. it on YouTube, look up like, you know, Oscar winners, 1989 or a young Hollywood musical number. It's so bad. It's so now, great. now, what, what set, did you enjoy being on set as you became? Loved no, it. As you, always, always loved. But as you became more famous, okay, I think that I've seen this, you know, you see people act differently on set to people who are more famous and the thing what i've met is from people on my show people like you who've had a good amount of success that honestly i i have to say that the people i've met who come on the show who are successful are the nicest people ever like i mean everyone says oh yeah such and such changed and i always think i don't think the person changed i think the the person who becomes the star you know they never like the person who says they changed so like that person probably never called the guy who becomes a star I find this guy becomes a star, so they start calling, and they got to return his call. And I've noticed that. I mean, now, I mean, now, did people start treating you differently, though, because you are getting the success? Did you notice? I mean, were your, as we call, civilian friends, you know, outside, were they different? Uh, no, they are only different when the money runs out. Uh, they're they everything on the set is contractually negotiated of how you're treated on set. Everything. From assistants and trailers. What do you mean? I mean, what, what do you mean? You sit during your contract. You say, okay, I'm going to get this trailer. Everything. Billing. Position and billing. Size of billing. Uh, uh, trailer. Uh, any travel accommodations. All that stuff is negotiated in your contract. Some of it comes with Screen Actors Guild. You get a minimum. But from there, as you start working more and earning more and making more money, and, and it depends on how much financing they got off of your name. There's a secret list that's based on foreign investors and domestic. And they, your position's on a list for young male lead, older male lead, young female lead, supporting. All that stuff is got a dollar value. You invest this much money, you'll get this much back with this person. So I was always warm. I was never in like a really huge $100 million movie, but I did tons of movies that made three to six times their money. And everyone's really, and they got a little cult status and stuff and some pop culture awareness. And through, I celebrate any connection to my grandfather. At first, when I'm coming up, I'm like, my grandfather's kind of, you know, scratchy, if you will. And I was like, no, I earned this on my own. And it's like, I was kind of a little like, why are we talking about my grandfather? It's my interview. But I quickly snapped out of that. And um, I'm so proud to be anywhere connected to learn, you know, what I learned from him. And I always get pissy on the set. If like we're bitching over a gag, I'll be like, okay, uh, my grandfather learned his comic timing from Chaplin. And I learned it from my grandfather, so it's my bit. Right. <laughs> we win. Now, now, as you were working, was you could was your grandfather proud of you? Did he tell you, you know, God, you're he you're... was, and he was proud. He, you know, would never give advice on acting. Never. No, no. He goes, it's your choice. You make your choices. He's always just be quiet on the set and behave. If there's something looks dangerous, you really need to talk. Speak clearly and loudly and you know succinctly to them, but pretty much shut up and just do your job. Don't bump into the furniture. Know your lines. Be prepared. Be prepared. And he told me about the cyclical nature of the industry. And at that point, I'd only seen it go. There's times where it goes up and down, but you still keep stepping onto a new uh, platform, you know. And then even after uh, features, to get to features, I had to do theater between all the television. Oh, you're too TV. You're too too broad, too TV. So to get 
films. I actually had to do high school theater and learn some basics about. What was that like? I mean, just coming also saying and just like great to add like, that to the technical stuff but, that I knew. But I'm oh. saying as someone who was on TV, it's like anything. We're all going to be a little cocky. I don't care what you're going to say. Extremely cocky. Arrogant was the I word mean, Henry Winkler said. You're a little arrogant, kid. <laughs> what did Henry Winkler? Was... I cried. I'm like, I'm not arrogant. I'm so sorry. When did he, when did he tell you? You were going up for some show called Kangaroos in the Kitchen, I think. I don't know. And uh, I did the first meeting, and they got a feedback from the agent. Well, Henry thought you were a little arrogant. <laughs> My God. It's like people say I have confidence in going. It's like there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. <laughs> so I go back in for my second thing and I cry and I'm like, I don't want to be called that. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. And, you know, please. Then I went to network. Didn't get it. But still he goes, okay. And he took me to network for the series. See, that's awesome though. I mean, at least you listen. You know, a lot of kids don't listen because a lot of kids are just punks. <laughs> See, every great success I think in the industry comes from how you handle your failures. Whether you blame people or you own it, whether you change and you fix it and you keep trying, that's all it is. There's only one way to fail in this business. Give up. Because it's just, that's it. You just stick to it. You stick to it. And if people want to start out and they go, how do you get in the business? I want to do this. And I go, well, you know what? Do it. Do local theater. Do public park. Do whatever. Anything. There's so many calls, open calls. Try it. You'll know soon enough if you like it. If you like it, you'll put up with everything that the industry has to offer, including people that ask for a lot of attention on the set oh we've worked with them you just work around them literally everyone on the set goes we're just working around them we don't talk to them we don't communicate with them we stay out of their little bubble and you film the movie and tell them stand on that mark rolling and just do it around them uh let them deal with the pas you hire some pa that usually quits every five days to just be their personal assistant it's funny i mean it's just because i'm seeing this now going on sets it's just weird i i and i said i've gotten such a different view from it from meeting people like you and other actors that i i know you're psyche i know you're good people and you're just but when you go on set you're doing you have a job to do that's what people don't understand people will sit there and go oh i heard this actor is difficult well you know what i know some friends who are very successful lawyers and they're freaking difficult what they put their assistance through is nothing to but i've seen some actors put people through in a set most people i mean it's so funny everyone always says actors are like oh there's i'm like don't you actors their ego is not as much as some of these stockbrokers i mean those are the guys who are just like the big swinging dick mentality yeah but name your favorite stockbroker i know that's what i'm saying that's that's what it does a great line i said the other night now now what now what was it like when people started giving you stuff for free i mean you're you're younger really i don't know you know i don't know i didn't really get a lot i got some nikes running gear it's like that's cool i never really tapped into that as much um i didn't like press unless it was specifically promoting a movie which is radio and tv and uh i didn't I really do that. I just started recently doing gifting suites, which is you walk them with bags of stuff. Um, and you're expected to promote it and like it. And you have to still have to take little videos and pictures there. Ooh, I love this douche. This is great. Now, now, where do you, how do these things happen, these gifting suites? How do you, you get into a, that? You have a PR agent and they put you out for premieres and gifting suites and wrap parties and fun stuff like that. And you just go, you, um, you, there's like, 30 maybe 40 different booths and you go you hear a little pitch now this is home-based business and it's like gluten-free and it's like this is so and uh you uh <laughs> take a little picture with it and then you get them you get free stuff see that's cool i, I went to the uh, the natural foods expo in anaheim last year and man all these companies want to push their foods and me and my girlfriend were brought bags and we were walking out with swag i mean i'm sitting there we had snacks and like she still has like these sample face creams and you're like this is cool stuff now i, I may be wrong but now are you at the hollywood show this saturday i'm at the hollywood show august 1st 2nd i am also in lost in radio land which is a 40s radio show that the audience sees live happen in period so everything's like kind of dressed in period that's uh, august 7th 8th and 14th, 15th, and 16th. I'll be at Disney Expo, the D23, a reunion of the Fox and the Hound with Corey Feldman and Keith Coogan, who were the voices of the Fox and the Hound, on August 15th in Anaheim. And uh, I'll also be appearing at an Alamo Draft House tour in September. We'll be going to Austin, Dallas, Lubbock, San Antonio, I think, Kansas City, and uh, uh, Littleton, Colorado. Maybe a date in Virginia as well. Those tickets will go on sale in about a month. And uh, yes, I have a lot to do this summer. And Well, I was going to ask you, what, like the Hollywood show, I went to the first one because my, my buddy Rob Welch, he's friends with the guy who runs them. And he says, hey, you want to go to the Hollywood show? And I put up a little flyer to give to people to be about being a guest because I figured, hey, it's perfect. And uh, 
they're cool. I mean, it's cool. It's like I was at the one with like I I might even be there on Saturday. I don't know, but there was one with the it was the Lost in Space reunion and the uh, one with um the uh, League of Their Own reunion. And it, it's cool. I mean, it's it's I mean, it, it must feel great because the people are very uh, they're fans. They're ravenous fans. They they love your work. And I mean, it must be great for you to sit there and meet these people who who want to talk to you and say hi and get your autograph. I mean, how does that? I mean, it's got to make you feel great because it's you know, if someone remember you from a movie or this, they remember you and they liked you and they're they'll pay for your autograph. Like like, and that must be. We're going to take a picture after because I do with my guests, yeah. but I'm not right. paying for it. <laughs> of course, <laughs> but I'm saying ten dollars. Yeah, selfie. How is how? Is, well, in theater, you get that instant gratification: live laughs, cries, applause, and then they get you at the backstage door. So in film, it's months, sometimes a year, sometimes two years from the time you first started working on it till you you have to sit in the audience to even see reaction on opening night, and you have to wait that long. Try ten years, twenty years. 30 years later to still have people come up and go, oh, my God, I remembered you on this or, you know, and it's amazing. That's great. It is great. That's the one thing you do not feel like a whore standing on the corner, $20 for an autographed photo. You're like, all right, they are totally willing to pay this because you give them two minutes of like, yeah, I'll, I'll answer your question about the blues bar. Nobody left that place without singing the blues. They just that's all they want to hear. And you have to understand fan expectations. If they want to hear what it was like working with Elizabeth Shue, you have to say she's America's sweetheart from Karate Kid. She's amazing. She carried that picture. What a hard worker and funny and charming and wonderful. They do not want to hear she is an ice queen. They do not want to hear anything negative about somebody that they may love. And that's a rule in general. Um, and I guess it's, you know, with time and if somebody's not in your life or doesn't go out of the way to invite you to things – you get distant from them, and I, I'm a, the worst offender after a movie because it's very mercenary. It's not a series that you see the people same year after year after year. Go into a movie for three months, and at the end of the shoot, I, they're like, all right, we'll see you back in LA. I'm like, no, we won't. You know we're all going off to different places right. and doing other things. Maybe you pick up a friend every five movies. So, But uh, like Elizabeth Shue was busy on set. Let's put it that way. And maybe I wanted more out of it because I was this teenage with a crush on her, and I really did have a crush on her. What so. do you mean busy? She's inaccessible. She's in her trailer. You don't really get to talk to her or go up, hey, what's going on, Elizabeth? No, I don't know. Reporting okay. my lines. Now, it's a cold fish. Let's just put it that way. Was, was there any actors or actresses that you met? I love you, Elizabeth, but still, <laughs> damn. Lighten was, up on set. Was there any actors or actresses that you met that were just so cool or took you under the wing or were just like nice William to... Peterson, Billy Peterson. Oh who, who I mean, from I mean, the guy. I have abandoned fathered issues, so I always glatch on to cool dads. Now, what did you work with him in? I worked with him on Cousins. He okay. played, uh, he was cheating with my, uh, with Ted Danson's wife. He was cheating with Sean Young. And then it, Ted Danson started cheating with Isabella Rossellini, who was married to Billy Peterson. And then, uh, so Billy like taught me how to smoke Marlboro Reds, walk like a cowboy, and drive a Buick. He's, really? He's a man's man. Yeah. See, it's funny. I, it's just it's so cool. Like, and he had the same hearing loss that I did. I never got cast on a CSI ever. You know, all the nine, like, you know, CSI's they have Littleton CSI. Right. Never got a job. Come on, Billy. Damn. Now, now, when did he get his hearing loss? Later in life? During CSI, I think, or maybe before. Just yeah, it was later in life. So now you're doing all this acting. You're in these movies, and then you're 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 a cute kid. I mean, you're now at what time? At what age? I mean, you're you're going to cousins and all like what? Seventeen through twenty three. I did did a bunch of pictures. Then at twenty three, it tamed off, and you do short films and independent features. But now, what what is that like? I mean, in all honesty, because you know you're in these movies, but you you have to know at a certain age, you know it's like you said the the has peaks and valleys. But when you know for a lot of people, the peak is you know like a series and the valleys this and it. For you, you're in, you're in these movies. So now, did you start getting worried? I mean, what 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 psychologically did you go through? Because at 23, I always say this when I talk to people. Okay, 23, I had been out of college for a year. I think I started doing stand up at 24. I was still a punk at 23. You know, we're, we're all punks at 23. Even though no matter how cool we think we are, we still have a lot of growing up to do. And going, being working on movie sets is probably a lot like being in college where you, you have fun, you do your job, but it's not like as long as you can get good grades or give a good performance, you're going to be drinking. You're going to be womanizing. You're going to do whatever college do. And, and you, we're, I'm five years older than you, and that was an age of people were just decadence, man. I mean, You're not 50 years I'm old. I'm 51. That's bull. I'm 51. 
Wow. And it's that... six years older than me. Don't six. Try <laughs> <laughs> so no, what was it See, like? That made you yeah. feel not better right there. No, I actually I don't mind because you know. You know Thankfully, I, mean? I wanted to. Uh, you just. You care more about exploring new characters and doing things that are fun and and just keep working, period. It's not about the money. Never about the money. So you take every little job you can and play in a pimp or a crack dealer or a meth cook or, you know, a slimy agent or whatever, anything you can come up with um, to broaden your horizon. Because that's what you're really looking for as a performer. You're like, I played the best friend. I played the guy in love with the girl. I played this or whatever. You So I very, felt very satisfied and fulfilled. And that bubble, the challenges of let's do, you know, sing, let's do direct and write, and let's do stand up. I want to do stand up. Uh, Virgin Sacrifice. I've never, You've done, never done stand up. I've written stand up, and you... I've never done it. And I'm going to do it September 3rd, Westside Comedy Theater. Oh, cool. And there's like five, six comics before me, and then I get sacrificed. See, I wish I wish I knew this because I used to book this crappy bar because I don't really do stand up anymore, but I booked this crappy bar called Jimmy's Place in Burbank. And I remember I was talking to Joey Dallow, and I had lost touch with Joey. And then he knew my friend Patrick O'Sullivan, who I believe you know Patrick. Yeah. I think, yeah. And Joe, I said to Joe, we became friends on Facebook. I said, dude, you have to do comedy. He goes, I haven't done comedy in 10 years. I said, I'm putting you on the show. And he came out, and he was shitting himself. But he brought a ton of people. If I had known you then, we would have made you go up, because it was me and him and Cato Kalen showed up. Yeah. And you, it would have been perfect. So now, are you nervous? Or what, what, is, your, what is your act going to be out when you, when you finally get to do stand-up? Are you writing material now, or how are you what, how are you preparing? Yeah, I've been writing material for probably a good month or so. Uh, just now starting to send out the save the dates. I have to do this email campaign and Facebook and stuff. Uh, then uh, and it's a small room. It only seats like 50, 75 oh, but people. It's, it's a very like cool that. room. Pretty small. It's like ten bucks a ticket. So hopefully we'll pack it and all with people that know me and can support me and go along with me, especially when I bomb. Uh, Don't say you're gonna bomb though. It, I look at it as another role, and I know about comedy and so i'm going to do my best and my goal is to get about 80 90 percent there as to what a comic does which is write a great act that's about you that's well structured has all of the all the tricks all the bags and the tricks and be in the moment and relate to the audience and give them lots of energy entertain them for five minutes that's all i gotta do so I th- i'm gonna have fun with it i'm also scared to death because i haven't done it yet and though i've written for letterman and leno and uh, Miller and uh, I wrote uh, John Bobbitt's act, the Sleeping on Their Stomach tour. We actually trained him, put him on stage, wrote his act. Now, how did you get into writing? First of all, how did you get into writing? My for... mom. My mom's a writer. No, but she... for, for John Bobbitt, I mean, people you don't know, John Bobbitt yep. is the man whose penis got cut off by Lorraine and Bobbitt. She threw it in the woods. They found it. They resurgently connected. He did porn. I don't know who to see a porn with a man with a penis grown on. I don't watch porn, but that's not the porn I would see if I did watch porn. How did you end up writing for John Bobbitt? Because that's just so random, and I love that story, and I saw her on a talk show a while ago, and she's remarried, and I'm thinking, who would marry her? She cut her husband's penis off. She fed the ducks. <laughs> now, how that My happened? mom got a call from another fellow comic who had was involved and knew the management of John Bobbitt, who was like, we need to do something here. And uh, she's like, I, I could train you. I could write it and everything. And we took on the job. He came out to our house in Malibu. He spent the night at my house in Santa Monica, my condo, which I bought with babysitter money. And uh, we put him up at City Walk. Then we started putting him up around town. And then we sent him on his way with an act. And it was just, you know, I designed kind of a stage show where there's like a red light and a door. You see, she's off stage always. And maybe he's in a bar. And yet there's still this presence off stage. She may talk. And he's like, just telling buddies. We wanted something that he could be familiar with. So we wrote this act and um, he did it. He's not, you know, terrific, but uh, he did great for for what we asked him to do. It was really fun. And And for writing for all the other shows and those other comics, it was a fax number you had. I remember the Leno used to have big dog productions. And you the, fa- remember the facts? Get was the so great. paper at six in the morning. You write your jokes. You get it into them by nine or ten in the morning. Fax them all in. And they paid you between 50 and 75. Miller paid 75. And Letterman and uh, Leno paid 50. And you, they'd say it on the show that night. And then in the LA Times under laugh lines, you'd see what you wrote under quote and attributed to Jay Leno Jen, uh, or or. Dennis Miller. It was that was really neat part of the process, and you'd be still be writing new jokes for the day, and then see your joke you wrote yesterday. You're like, we already did the Ariana Huffington joke. No, let's. Uh, so that was neat. Um, didn't really do it for the money. We just did it for that clout, that credit to say, yeah, we're writing stuff that's on TV every night. 
Now, do you have you written other stuff besides jokes? Have you decided to write my own shorts and and you know screenplays and uh, web series and pilots? I've optioned a few things, which just encouraged me to keep going. I was like, really, you're going to give me money and then give me the project back in six months and nothing happened, but right. I got money for it. I wrote it in five days. It's pretty good per day if you think about it. So it just encouraged me. I always like to love to write. Now, now you also you did some. I was reading something on YouTube where you did monologues every day or something. I did this was. A, now, what was this? And it's a great idea. How'd you come up with this? And, and it's got to be, and you know what it does? It shows that you're very, you're dedicated to your craft because it's hard to do something every day. I mean, I sit there, I, I used to, I would have a blog. I would write every day and I go, I'm bored. Or like I would put jokes I joke on, I put on Twitter. I would put on a blog, like five of them. And I just get tired of doing that. When all I had to do was copy and paste them into my blog thing. I mean, now you're thinking, how did you get into this? And what was it called? Monologue a day project. It was New Year's Day. I was in the bathtub where all great ideas come. Oh, yeah. Do you soaking. like the bath? I love, I, the, I bath. love the bath. I love the bath. Lately, I have no time, so I've just been taking showers like every two, three days when I start to smell. So I'm in the bath, and I'm like, what can I do? I need both like current clip tape for the agent, and I need to learn monologues, like you know, contemporary monologue and like a classic Shakespeare or Moliere or something for theater auditions. And I was like, never really learned a monologue. And this, and then I went... And people were doing like picture a day and there was Julie, Julie and Julia. And it was, you know, do the recipe a day and cook her whole book. And I went, well, what if I, and I bought monologue books. And I went, what if I do a, learn a short one, two minutes, learn a monologue and shoot it every day and put it up. Now it turned into a two and a half year project. I went up doing 192 or something like that. So it turned into every two or three days I'd do it. And, uh, cause I take on something that took me a few days to learn, you know, doing, uh, the Cyrano de Bergerac speech in the bar, in the pub, when he's like got, it's like three pages of just like tons of very specific, and I've used cheat sheets, cue cards, whatever I can. And I'll shoot two, three takes, and then pick the best take, and cut it, put it up. And it was fun, I had great people that followed along, and loved it, and started to share it, and got some press on TMZ for it, and uh, learned a lot about myself, my range. I'm like doing a play, and I started to hear back from authors, Chuck Palahniuk, it's like, great job. Like, my God, I like, did some fight club or something. And then I got Pasadena Playhouse uh, coordinator. He's goes, uh, he also runs a publishing uh, house for new playwrights. And he goes, you did one of our plays. I want to talk to you about the rights and all that stuff. And I go, I can pull them. I'm sorry. I didn't, you know. And he goes, no, no, no. Promote us. And, like, we'll promote new plays through you. So I started getting sneak peeks at new pieces that hadn't even ever been put on their feet. And just having fun. And, um... It uh, I you know, totally ran its course, and I had to jump off on some other things. But that was very challenging. Oh, so I get one from an author who goes, that's you know funny. I never really thought a white person could do that piece. And I go, what? And it, the whole play was an African-American play that I didn't know. It doesn't say when you open up from Samuel French. It doesn't say, oh, blacks only. You know, right. I just thought it was urban or like street. And I was like raised, raised kind of white trash. So I was like, oh, this is great. So he does a little D's and D's. That's fine. I didn't know I was doing black voice. If there's black face, there's got to be black voice. Well, yeah, come on. I mean, it was, but but you got good. And now how would you find other ones? Like, how would you just sit there? Would you just sit there and like one day say, you know what? Yes. Today I'm in the mood for this. How would you do that? Groundhog Day or I'm in the mood for doing, you know, something from a movie or something from a TV show or quoting a song or singing a song or telling a joke. Yeah, it turned into anything up for grabs that was between a minute and two minutes long. Now, did you ever do anything as a grown up? of the parts you did when you were in your teens. No, and that's great. Wouldn't that be cool though? Yeah. Cause then it'd be Well, like... I have an idea for a web series that is, you know, all the kids they were added to shows later in series to spice them up. Yeah, I always said, and they always were, it went from a baby to like three years old in one season. What the hell's that? I know. <laughs> so it stars all of them and Ted McGinley. They're called show killers. And so they've been, you know, they're, they form this secret group and you use the actual actors. You get a hold of them and, you, and they're uh, going to come back and Ted McGinley's kind of come back and they're going to simultaneously, simultaneously try to cancel all shows on TV at once and kill all of television. Now, do you have this set up? Is this all in the working or? I just thought of the idea the other day. That's good. You should do that. It's like I have this, con this ex-child star uh, secret society uh, on Facebook. Hush, hush, hush. And it's filled with from going back to like my mother, the car and my three dads and all that stuff to recent shows. Um, if you were a kid and you were in show business and you had good credits from commercials or TV to movies, 
we form a group and we talk. It's the only place you can really be open and be like, well, this is how I really feel about this. And we support each other and stuff. And, but half of us are in recovery. It's good. Uh, and you're recovering? Hell no. No? As you're saying, I didn't know. No. <laughs> now, now, what is it like? I mean, when you sit there, when you, when you, when you look back and you, you, I mean, your, your career has been very successful. And then you sit there and you're constantly working. But when you said you had to take different jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, was that because you just, I mean, because I know the money's changed a lot in Hollywood. Totally. That's so true. And, you know, living in L.A. is expensive and you have to start dumping properties. And, you know, we held on to a Malibu property I bought when I was nine. You bought a property when you were nine? Five-bedroom house in Malibu. Wait, wait. When you were nine, you bought a five-bedroom house? Yeah, on the deed. How did how, how does that happen at Walton, nine? The Waltons. I mean, but you're nine. I mean, 26 it's... episodes in a year. I know, but... $1,400 a week adds up to a good down payment for... $190,000 house in Malibu. And now, I'm Sorry, of, I'm talking out of turn, but it's worth no, a couple of mil now. No, I could imagine. And that's just amazing. That yeah. you, I mean, that's just great. And my, nine... mom, my mom was really smart with that original nugget that we started to make. So when I got babysitter and was doing all that stuff, that was all my own money. I just I pissed that away in like eight years. That's fine. But you had all the investments, though, that, that your yeah. mama made, which is good, though. That's good, that, good to know. Now, where do you live now? Burbank, Glendale. Okay. Now, do you like Burbank? Hot as balls and cold suppose, as hell. Suppose, it's like both night and day. It's, it's not terrible. cold. It is. During the winter behind that mountain, you don't get the sunlight all day and it's freezing. Oh, what? It's like 52. You need like a long t-shirt. Okay. You know, I grew up back east. 52. I don't want to even hear that because it's so funny. My girlfriend just moved out about a year and a half ago and she's back from <laughs> east and she's like, I go, yeah, she goes, oh my God, it's getting cold. I'm like, would you shut up? I said, you were just in snow. 52 is not cold. So now, now what? Now what's this play you're doing with Joe Dallow? I know you're doing, aren't you doing a play with yeah. my friend Joe Dallow? I want to hear about he this. He plays cause... Stan the Man and I'm Jerry Barrymore, and guy, it's... an actor that loves the sound of his own voice. Uh, it is a th- radio show. It takes place in a 40s theater. The audience is the audience to come to see three night stories. And there are radio plays with sound effects and the music and commercials and jingles. And it's very sardonic and sarcastic and fun and it celebrates all of the egotistical quirks of actors uh and the relationships i've got my ex in the show and my new you know little tart in the show as well and uh it's really fun it's called environmental theater because of um joe's involvement with tony and tina's wedding and so we're doing something that's very interactive and the audience is going to feel like they're kind of a part and really there and really watching something. There's a killer on the loose and he actually likes to kill actors. He kills one of our actors and we need to grab someone for the audience to be in the radio show. And we give them the script and put them on the show. It's going to be a celebrity every night. And then the real killer comes into the theater and we get him and capture him and finish our radio show. And it's amazing under an hour. It's a one act that will blow you away. It's got everything. And now where's the set? This is at Theater Palisades. August 7th, 8th, and 14th, 15th, and a matinee on the 16th. Tickets and available at Gold Star. Now, how did you how did you end up hooking up with Joe? Because I believe Joe directed it. Through Ryan Paul James. Okay. Like so, how do you how do you get your auditions now? Like do like, like I don't. For, for theater. I, I mean, don't. I I connect. You know people. Hey, come do you know the comedy festival in Frisco or come do the. It's like you. I know this other guy who has a you know nerd cast or. You just you wind up meeting people like you and like Joe, who he was like Steve Cooper, Steve Cooper, Keith Coogan, Steve Cooper. I got to You guys got to meet. Well, no, because I said I, I saw you in the in the show. a week ago. And here we are. Yeah, I saw you were in the show. And I said to Joe, I said, I said, hey, you're doing something with Keith. I said, you know, think you do my show. And most times people say, yeah. So I send out the letter and then you got back. And thank you. Thank you, Joe. And uh you sent me back and I said, cool. And I happened to have, this was a weird week. So I, glad I could come in I, right now because my week is crazy. Too. And it's great because you were perfect because I had two cancellations and then I was sitting there going, and I always sent my query out. And when I said, you know, I have an opening, you came and it was awesome. So that, that was good. Now, what else is going on? What are some of the other jobs you said you had in between? What is that? I like? have done sales and telemarketing. Like, like selling I've, what? I helped Obama become president. Selling everything from roofing to long distance. I was actually trained by AT&T, so I was pretty good. For about 15 years, I did sales. Look on my uh, IMDB, and you'll be like, what do you do for those seven years? I like became vice president of a telecommunications company. And, and you know, it was nothing I ever owned. I always got, like, hourly or and commission and stuff. But it was, like, really hard, you know, work. But be- I like that better, steady, predictable. you got to own up to it. you got to be able to do 9 to 5 or Eight to four thirty. Now, what's that like? I mean, coming from your hell, life, where, it's hell. I mean, you but you go, how easy to take all these tools of an actor 
you focus them in on a regular job. And I don't have PhDs or letters after my name. I, I have a California high school, basically a high school proficiency. And to be able to, I've gotten promoted every job and love it, have fun. I love working with them. They're like, you're in a babysitting movie. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, earning a living, paying rent. What are you doing here? Right. But you're on TV. You do not become a millionaire just for being on TV. I still get good residuals from all the shows I do. That helps. So I don't have to work always full time. And one of the jobs I was doing this summer was Universal Studios Hollywood. And Scott Grimes comes through. I get a text later. He goes, yeah, I was with Russell Crowe and he recognized you. I go, what? I'm at the gate like, hey, you know, welcome to Universal Studios. Can I see your ticket? And apparently Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is huge in Australia because the mom abandons the family and runs away to be with a sheep herder in Australia. They're like, we love that movie down there. Ah, yeah, it's legend. Yeah, crikey. So they go running back to find me at the gate and my like lead had moved me to another area and they couldn't find me. And I'm like, that was my wife is laughing on the floor as I'm reading the text from Scott Grimes. And I go, that was the, both the best, new, best news and the worst news I've ever heard in my life. Because I got first day on the job, I get recognized. This guy goes, hey, I worked with you on Don't Tell on the Babysitter's Dad. Recognized by other actors. They're just like, dude, you like inspired me to be an actor. I'm so glad you're working here. Actually, everyone's been supportive, including other actors. They're like, good for you. That's great. I'm like, really? You're doing that? Well, because you know what, most would not. But yeah, you know what it is? It's also, and it's like anything. You have to sit there and you, right, you have to make a living. Or you're going to sit, what else are you, you know, if you yeah. sit there and you're not going to, I mean, everyone knows. I've heard stories, you know. You're in a series, then you're not. Then you're in a series, you said, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. Well, what are you going to do during those those valleys? Are you going to sit there and just sit around and feel bad about yourself? No, you're not. So you, you sit there, and then this must be cool, though. I mean, it must be weird getting recognized, though. I mean, I always sit there with guests of mine. I always sit there. When I did stand-up comedy, I got recognized a few times, like in the mall and Cherry Hill, and I was like, oh, cool. But for you, when it happens a lot, I mean, how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, do you sit there? You forget, but then you also remember that they have an expectation, so... You'll be going about your day getting coffee. And, you know, I'm also a fan myself, so I'll drool over anybody. Oh, my God, I love you. You're amazing at this. And it's like I saw Eddie Izzard. And I'm like, I loved the, uh, um, what was the one where they were uh, gypsies? Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, t- townies. The t- What was that called? I know you're talking about. Great something. show. And I was like, I was like, oh, I love that show. They never did an ending. You guys should do a special ending. Oh, my God, I'll let you go. Bye. So I like just started foaming all over myself. Um, so I I love it, and it's it could go different ways. At first I was cagey. People go, you look familiar. Ah, oh, well I did some TV. No, what were you on? Well, I don't know some babysitter. Movie. I don't know. You tell them I was in this. They go, nah, I didn't see that. Right. I always hear that. So my friends are like, just tell them what you're in. Um, and so one day a girl was like, hey, you look familiar. And I'm like, well, I was in a bench of babysitting. And I started. She goes, no, Keith, I went to Samo High with you yeah. at high school. <laughs> Now, now, do you have celebrity friends? I mean, like, do you, like, is there like a celebrity almost group? all? Unfortunately, this is weird, but because the industry has weird hours, and you can be besties and have lunch with someone every day, and then not see them for six months because they're in Morocco. So it's a weird. Every time you see them, it was like it was yesterday, and these include childhood friends. And yes, there's tons of events that we go to where we aggregate and flock together. Um. And it's great because they're the only people you can look in the eye and go, I understand. And you understand where I'm at. Now, some of them sell insurance. Some of them work in catering. Some of, and these are all names. And they, it's, I went, I'm going to kind of congrue it all together. And because I'm totally schizophrenic, I'm sure. I put the stage name and this and real life and, and all the parts I play on top being an actor. I went, nope, they're all going to be Coogan. One guy that actually, yes, I'm in movies. And yes, I worked at Universal this summer. So it's like, bring it all together and be real with yourself. I've seen people go into show mode when they get recognized. Oh, hi, thanks. They're not themselves. And I'm like, the reason these people like you and are fans is because you're opening up a true part of yourself when you're on screen. Well, I've noticed that too, just from doing some background. Like whenever you sit there and talk to someone, they're like, well, I'm not really, I'm not really background. I'm just doing this because I usually do this. And I'm like, yeah, pride, but, but, but right now, right pride. now you're doing You are background, background now. What's it say in your check? I always, I always say, you know what? I go, hey, you know what? I'm sitting here kicking back sitting in an air-conditioned place, reading or writing, eating. I said, you know what? People, there's roofers in Las Vegas right now sweating their asses off. And I said, people don't get it. It's so funny. It's like, I said, yes, when I come in here, I interview people. But hey, you know what? I have fun doing it. And it's always so funny, but they always have like, well, I'm not really, I'm this. I'm really doing background because I usually do, I'm a stand-in for this person on this show. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? You're doing background. You just said you've done background for this show five days in a row. So you're doing background. Just fess up to it right it it's a hard way to make an easy living 
and everyone expects a shortcut. Look, in the 90s, we told every single kid, you could be a rock star. You could be an actor, a superstar, space astronaut. Every single kid felt special. And guess what? We got 7 billion people on the planet. And everyone in the world wants to be in the United States of America. Everyone in America wants to live in California. Everyone here wants to live in Southern California. Everyone here wants to be in Hollywood, which doesn't exist. There is no Hollywood. It's, right. there, it's L.A., 90027. That's L.A. zip code. There's no Hollywood post office. Sorry, people. It's an imaginary place that we make up. And we all agree to be success. If you feel successful and prepared, then you're secure. And when you're secure, you can relax. And I think Tom Hanks, he needs to learn a little bit about sticking around and signing every autograph. But he signs most. He doesn't understand how much it really means. to the He was like, what? I signed autographs. Like Tom, there's a friend of a friend who works with Tom all the time as background and as his stand-in. He's done like 17 movies with Tom. It's like, Tom, you got to stay and sign everyone. But look, the three you don't sign are going to piss off more than the 10 people that you made happy. They're going to go and be like, he's a dude, not good to his fans. So they're trying to give a little primer to Tom Hanks so that he can be better. Now, do you have a website? I do. KeithCooganOnline.com. I got about half of those appearances up, but I'm also on the Twitter and the Instagram. Now, do you tweet a lot? Do you tweet? Do you I do. Tweet? Yeah, I, I like to tweet. I'm going to follow I think you. It's fun. What, what are you? What, what's your name? Keith Coogan. Now, at Keith Coogan. Now, do you write jokes or what do you tweet? Like, what do you, I, wanna I tweet links out to something like, think of me as an index card for randomness. A lot of self-promotion, of course. That, but it's always usually, I know it's self-promotion, so there'll be a little tongue-in-cheekness to it. Um, and then I like to retweet cool stuff and, you know, uh, Wait, I talk to a lot me. of my fans on there. You should follow me. I tweet a lot of jokes. I, I'm always tweeting jokes. I like to tweet jokes because it makes you write tight. It makes you sit there and write. You it have does to make like you write tight. You can't tight. sit there and go. You ramble and you go. Okay, I got to cut this short. It's genius. It's, I've seen what Patton Oswalt did, where he separated his tweets. That so long, he did the setup, yeah. and then the second tweet was, oh, that wasn't as bad of a joke as I thought. I right. Like, That's a good structure. <laughs> we don't even. And few- then there's a whole book to the girls who live above me. As a guy had these girls that lived above him, and he started tweeting out the random shit they were saying and he's just like oh my god kimberly really needs to get her act together with chad you know and he and he wrote a book on it and like fantasizing and meeting them in the building and he's going through a breakup great book uh uh uh, based off of a twitter account well there's also one called tweets from last night that is so funny oh Oh, my god they sit there and they go i woke up you know with uh whatever i think i screwed up or it's just excellent so uh now here's what we're gonna do you gotta do all that stuff you did in the middle of the show promote it right now because we only have a few minutes left do all your promotion. okay hollywood show august 1st and 2nd that's here in la uh that's an autograph show we've got the uh play lost in radio land and that is august 7th 8th 14 15th 16th we got d23 the disney expo on august 15th september 3rd i'll be at westside comedy theater doing my first stand-up comedy act 8 p.m. and uh, also at Alamo Draft House tour in September in Six City. And what's the Alamo? What, what are you gonna do with the Alamo? Uh, show up with Adventures of Babysitting, do a Q&A. I have lots of tchotchkes and merchandise. So I have lots of great 80s ephemera from my movies, also from lots of other like John Hughes movies, just 80s stuff that people can buy $2 button and also get an autograph or take a picture or whatever. And I'll answer questions, talk to fans, and um. I love watching Adventures of Baby sitting with a crowd. It still plays. And we pack an Alamo Draft House, get them all drunk, and then we have fun. That must be great. And they give me pizza and beer, too. So thank you, Alamo Draft House. All right. Well, that's good. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you, Steve. I, I had a great it. time. And uh, so people follow him at Keith Coogan at Twitter. Go to his website, KeithCooganOnline.com. And that's C O O G A N, not K O O G A N. But you should know that. But you should know it. Okay. So it's Keith, K E I T H C O O G A N at Twitter, and then just add online, and that's his website. Also, go to my website. My website is coopertalk.net. I have uh, 400, over 400 episodes of past Cooper Talks up there. There's a ton of them. You can go check them out. And if there's any specific one you want to learn, look up, just Google the person's name. Let's say you want to see her Terry Nunn from Berlin. Type in Terry Nunn, Cooper Talk, put the search, and then it will find, it will link you right to it. And also, send me an email there, cooper at coopertalk.net. Follow me on Twitter. That's uh, at Cooper Talk. Also, uh, uh, what else? Oh, iTunes and Stitcher. Type in one word, Cooper Talk. And then also, buy my book. Okay, you haven't been buying my book. Go to StopTheSalt.com. As you know, when I get out of the hospital with my heart problem, I had to change my diet. I quit smoking. I gave up caffeine. And I started eating a low-sodium diet. There's 120 recipes. They're easy to make. Okay, if you look through it, it's cooking for one. 
If you think you're stupid, look in the book, you won't feel stupid. There's no pictures. You're not going to get intimidated. There's no 8,000 different ingredients. There's basic ingredients, basic stuff, and you can sit there. Do you have something? I do. I have exact dates for the Alamo Draft okay, House. Right, we have 30 seconds. So sorry. September 6th, Houston, Texas. September 7th, Austin, Texas. September 8th, Dallas, Richardson, Texas. September 9th, Lubbock, Texas. September 14th, Kansas City, Missouri. And September 24th, Alamo Draft House, Denver, Colorado. Love you. Thank you, Steve. Okay, people, check that out. And so I'm Steve Cooper. Remember, go to StopTheSalt.com. Buy my book. I make more money. You can buy it on Amazon, but I make more money if you buy it from me. I'll sign it for you. So I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you next week.